Hello and welcome to We're Not Wizards, my name's Richard. Now today's show I'm joined by Tiffany Lee and we cover a whole pile of topics in this conversation and we're having so much interesting chat that I even forget to kind of do my custom intro. So treat this as the accustomed intro, listen to the intro music and then prepare yourself for an opening bombshell. <laughs> podcasts i didn't get them um i still don't love a lot of podcasts but people think i hate podcasts and i don't uh, i just think that most podcasts are not great you know like you know like they're we talk about it or you've seen me talk about it all the time like ones that aren't hmm. edited ones that don't realize that the ones that they like are after like out you know thousands hundreds of hours of practice at getting good at it you know like you, some people think you know, not uh, there's a movie called uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. John yes, Hughes. yes. Uh, it's when um, Steel, uh, Steve Martin's character Neil Page is sort of dunking on Dale Griffith early, and you kind of feel bad. And he's really yeah. ripping into him. Yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, "Not every story is an anecdote. You have to discriminate." And I feel that's mean there, but I feel like a lot of podcasts have that problem where. You know, whatever happens in your life becomes the content. But what if nothing happened this week? You know, then you're talking about mowing your lawn and drinking a craft beer on Wednesday night and describing the craft beer. You know, like and and that's all just the the running start to get to. Okay, we played Wingspan, and this is how it went. You know, like you know, there should be show notes. You should have an idea of what your narrative structure should be like. You should edit it lightly, even if you're not a professional. Just cut out the ums and errs, you know. So it took me a while to get into it, but uh, I, I, for the last year, I've had a new job. Uh, and I, it's, I, I'm an executive assistant for uh, a VIP. Part of my job is I have to listen to the podcast he's on. Oh, he does no. right, okay. And I don't have to listen to the whole thing, but yeah. I have to kind of, most of the time it's when he's, you know, if it's an interview or a live hit or something, it's okay. So, I've been listening a lot more podcasts over last year, uh, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad, and some of them are brand new, and some of them are seasoned, uh, and there are some people that are better at it than others, and some people that are more accomplished, and there seems to be a commonality of what makes a fundamentally better podcast, you know, like, from a position of strength. Like, you're starting from a position, from a position of strength, I... if you're doing certain things. I think one one of the things I don't talk about is the structure of the podcast, and I don't do kind of show notes and stuff like that because I always yeah. feel this as a method of discovery. But that is down to me, and I think it's down to the kind of like me as an individual is that I have always been a relatively chatty person. I know how to get a conversation going because my career up to date has always involved some kind of sales or consultancy meeting new people speaking new people mm. for the first time so I've always been almost it's like you're taught you know you say well your job is the job that you were meant to be kind of doing yeah 
or born to do. The podcast was something when I first started doing it and started pe- doing it for people, it was almost like it was, um, it was kind of like, oh, I think I need to accessorize this outfit and I think I need tie or shoes or I need a hat. And it turned out actually what I needed to do to accessorize my life a bit was have a kind of a podcast. And it's about having that kind of, that shared bit of time where I always had it as a conversation between two people and try to take it away from the fact that there was going to be so many number of people kind of listening to it afterwards. And I have had people that have kind of like been very strict and said, I need to go on the list of every single question that you're going to ask. And I says, well, I don't know because, you know, um, I, I'm generally interested in people. <clears throat> but then I try to keep it, I've always tried to keep it, jump in with little things about myself and then move it back to the person as quickly as possible. Because I am not that exciting, but I generally find that my guests have, I like to find out not just, if somebody comes on and talks about the board game, I want to find out about the person behind the board game. Because sometimes the person that's behind the board game is far more interesting and it gives far more insight into why that person went that direction with that kind of board game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when last time, like when I had like Elizabeth Hargrave on to um, when she when they were talking about um, their last um, Undergrove, I think it was. Yeah, we spend the time talking about any other thing except the board game. In fact, it's become a joke that we spend forty five minutes talking about everybody else, anything else, and then actually get around to talking about the game. But I didn't want it to be a podcast about about product. I wanted it to be a podcast about people. Which is kind of interesting, and I, I and and the other thing with podcasting, it's become, it's become so accessible to so many people. I mean, look at that. Okay, right. Even like three or four years ago, if we were talking about recording a session, then it would have been, I need you to down download Audacity, I need you to have a setup, I need you to set it on this setting, this setting, and this setting. I need you to press this setting at this time. I then need you to zip up the file and send me the file. Now, what happened today was I send you a link. We're video, we can see each other, we're recording the kind of the the thing, and then at the end of it, and this is the best thing, it's like, and they say, so what do I do next? It's like, you do nothing. I've pressed stop, and then what's going to happen is all the files are kind of going to kind of get downloaded. But what it means is that you get people who do make podcasts, and some people, um, um, some people do very very good kind of podcasts, and it's natural and it's fun. And I think some people are doing it. They've got a set idea for their podcast, and it's really obvious really quickly that that idea doesn't suit their personality. And it feels like it's forced all the way through. Mm-hmm. And yet if you get somebody I, I like people kind of talking about their their I get I like people talking about their comfort zones. You know, that's where I like kind of people mm-hmm. people to kind and of be. Obviously I'm bringing all of this up in general because you're not falling under the your podcast is shite. I mean, it's clear you've put <laughs> in the hours <laughs> and it's your your um your you put in the years, you know, you're celebrating what, eight years? Yes. Is that what you said? Oh my it's, goodness, yeah. No, so you start. I mean, uh, it's it's a it's a BS concept, but the Mal- Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours. Yes. Like in general, it's kind of a BS concept, but the part you know, and then there's another quote. I don't know if you know Ira Glass always talks about 
when you start out doing something, it's from a famous interview he did. He just talks about how much you like, you know what you know what your voice or taste is, but you start doing something and it doesn't match or reach that level that you know. Yes. And so there's a gap. And so what you're learning to do on your podcast is narrow the gap between your taste and your voice and the execution of that. And that's just by logging in the hours, trial and error, talking to people that are good at interviews, talking to people that are bad interviews, you know. Um, so I, I, you know, so that's why I felt it was fine to share because whenever I, whenever I'm dunking on board game podcasts that don't do much for me, I am not talking about yours. So oh, that's that. I, I, <laughs> it's waving the, waving the, no like you know it's like i i have a because i know because we have kind of been doing talking about kind of more games and stuff like that but then in the last episode i had like seppi you know and you know yeah. me and seppi and luke were just you know we were just ended up talking about anime because it was just like what are we going to do let's have some fun and seppi is a whole lot of fun to have on the show yeah. So that's what we do. We just talk about it. And Luke is, is always like, it's like a good laugh. And we have a kind of a conversation and we tell some really corny dad jokes because we're both dads and that's kind of what we do, which is all kind of fine. Um, but you're not entirely kind of um, out with the sphere of kind of entertaining a crowd or entertaining the masses because you have been known for kind of running running shows but in more of a kind of like a performance kind of quiz night kind of entertainment kind of show so i that must that must that takes more guts to me than running a podcast because the podcast i you know if i get 10 if i if get 10 people downloading it i don't get those 10 people then listening along and it's not like i then hear these 10 people listening to the show and having them going yeah, I've heard that joke before. That's rubbish. <laughs> Could I move on? Or I'm skipping it. Or, oh, yeah. goodness, they're talking about that. So how long have you been involved in the kind of the the kind of the quid shows and the all that kind of thing? How did that all kind of come about, first of all? I, I think I always was interested in, I've always been creative. Yeah. And I over the years, I've, I've realized it's never any one thing. Yeah. I think some people are like, I write books i am a poet i am a painter uh i've always been writing but i think it's more of a broad communication uh Mm. to an audience a thing because i started being you know writing short stories in high school and plays and then i figured out i loved movies growing up so in college i was a creative writing major but then i was ditching all my classes to figure out how to write a screenplays and taking all the classes at my school that had movies in them because uh, right. it wasn't a film school and there wasn't a film major or a minor. Yeah. So if there was a class that there was a lot of movie screening, I, I took that class. And and then I did I, I did a lot of theater stuff in school. Um, and then I got out and I worked in the film business. I've had a whole bunch of different careers, but a big chunk of my uh, time in New York City, probably half the time I've been here, I worked in film and television wow just started started as a pa worked my way up through the ranks and became a production coordinator uh in the office and it's kind of like being a concierge of a hotel and everybody staying at the hotel is somebody having to do with the film that's kind of my job (laughs) yeah it's like an executive assistant to everyone uh not just one person and i was good at that uh burned out there was a 2009 
was the uh, recession in the United oh, States. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And everything kind of dried up for me. So I segged out of that, and then I worked in worked at a university and was administrative and then was a academic advisor. And then I kind of swapped around with some odd jobs here and there for a couple of years over the pandemic until I got this current job I'm at where I'm just an executive assistant, which I'm, which I really like because it's all the stuff I did beforehand leading up to it. It's kind of feeds into this job skill set, which is great. Uh, I, I do this with movies too. Uh, I like when you see a, a, a performer, director, actor, and their career is clearly like the the person I always talk about that I love, love him or hate him. Mm. James Cameron is a really interesting example of every movie he made. If you look at his filmography, taught him to make the next movie. <laughs> yeah. So like everything he's doing is R and D for his next big yeah, movie. Yeah, and, yeah, and he was yeah. and every movie was like up until and through Avatar, every movie he's made is a bigger swing than the previous movie. Oh yeah, and so. It was really interesting to see early on scripts he was writing and movies he was making and waiting for the tech to catch up to his visions. So when like Titanic comes out, it's like, oh, he's done visual effects before because he worked on Piranha 2 and he worked on (laughs) Terminator and he worked on, you know, aliens, you know. Uh, he's learned all of that stuff. Uh, he's learned how to write scripts and like big commercial scripts that are, you know, Aliens has a whole bunch of space marines in it. And what's real sneaky and seductive about that film, love it or hate it, is by the time all hell breaks loose, you realize you know like 16 people by name. Yes. And you care about every single one of them when they die, even if they only had like two lines. Yes. And even if it's like the worst person in it. Yeah, you're still kind of like you're still kind of like I I, I kind of hope they kind of get out because I know if they get out there's going to be some pathos on this they're gonna they're actually going to yeah. get their just reserves but they they not even they they end up kind of getting out of the situation as well and so I mean so many movies are bad at characterizing three people in a room and he characterizes a whole battalion of space marines with humor and with care like and you could distinguish them yes. it wasn't it, he didn't write them like oh they all sound the same to me i'm i'm confusing hudson with hicks with vasquez with drake <laughs> yeah yeah you know with crow and all of them and you know he and then he makes the abyss which is his underwater movie which was this nightmare shoot from you know reading about it and just yeah, logistically yeah. like he was never doing anything easy or, 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 or safe but then he makes the titanic and it's like okay i know how to write I know how to do the visual effects, so I only need to like VFX half the. I only need to build half the boat. Well, VFX, <laughs> VFX the other half. Uh, all the people walking around in the in the wide shots are going to be fake. Yeah. Um, I know how to make you care about two people, so that in a three-hour movie you're still paying attention. I mean, if he pitches that movie now, you're like, okay, it's about the Titanic. We all know how it ends. We all know what happens. We don't care. And it's three hours, and in the and, <laughs> exactly. and I don't even start sinking the boat until hour two, and yeah, and oh by the way, the I need joke, like two hundred million dollars to make this movie. But that was the big joke. The big joke at the time was like, why would you go and see Titanic? And yeah. it's like because everybody knows what's going to happen unless it's going to be an alternate timeline. And then people came back from Titanic and were like, you have to go and see Titanic. And it's like, no, 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 no. no you, have you, to, you have to. You have to go. You have yeah. to kind of go and see Titanic. So. 
there seems to be like a two two sides to the coin of your bad self. There seems to be the organizational person that I reckon is a killer with an Excel spreadsheet and a copy of Asana <laughs> or Trello. It's like you you're you're working those Trello boards and those Excel spreadsheets. But there's also the side of the person that's you've got that's not creative to me. But then right. is there a side of you that says, right, I'm gonna break out and be my creative person? So is there that kind yeah. of two sides of things? Uh you know, Yes, but I also will argue that uh, being there is a creativity to organization and being, you know, hmm. having like executive uh, assistant skill sets. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the, when I worked in film, the biggest thing I did, because it was hard to characterize my job, every other job on a set is easy to describe to your parents, you know. I'm yeah. in the camera department. I'm an actor. Yeah. I do makeup. I do wardrobe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a PA. If you told them they were a PA, they're like, oh, yeah, I kind of know what that is. They're like yeah. a gopher, right? And you're like, yeah. Oh, so what does a production coordinator do? Well, I sit in an office. It's kind of, it kind of looks like a startup, and everybody in the office is like 20 years old, and yeah. I'm teaching them how to use a fax machine and get coffee. And <laughs> But it's, it's problem solving, and it's creative yeah. problem solving. And that's kind of what makes my day interesting, even yeah. though it's the same kind of things that come up. Um, and that's all a movie is every day. There's just a pile of problems and then you just take one off the pile and solve it. And ideally you do it, you know, in ways that don't compromise somebody's vision or the budget or the schedule and, and, and also having to communicate with so many people kind of like we talked about, you're always having to communicate information to everyone so that everyone is communicating with each other through you, through you. So um, but yeah, the, the creative stuff is sort of, if I can plan that stuff, then being on stage, it's just like knowing your lines before you get on stage or yeah. knowing the lyrics and, and practicing the song. So when you play it, you don't think about it and, and then you can express yourself differently because it's muscle memory at that point. And I've done various shows, you know, I, I don't do any drag performance. Uh, uh you know, I don't sing or I don't, I'm not a RuPaul drag race performer type uh so when you book me i'm i mean i'm sort of a throwback i am a 1970s personality that's trapped in 2024 you know uh have me on your podcast or have me on your on the couch as your guest i would be one of those people that would be like a guest on a talk show even though i'm not plugging anything because i'm just a good conversation Yeah. yeah 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 and uh these things i host are game shows mostly so uh, one's one I, I I put together and we did 50 shows between like 2015 and 2022 on and off. Um, and that was that was based on it, it's called Game of Blanks, but it's there's a show that's called Match Game that came out in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Uh, RuPaul has a version of it called Snatch Game because. <laughs> That show is nothing. Of course it do. <laughs> yeah, that show is nothing if not misogynistic. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was a version of that, but it was a live version. So I was the host, and I had a, a good friend of mine who's a comedian, and that's kind of what got me on stage actually, because when I put that show together, I and, and I had done other stuff uh, in New York City. Uh, a friend of mine, I, I met a friend on. I went on a. Okay, Cupid date with somebody who was in an immersive theater group. And then the second date was, you should come to the show because I'm working. 
Wow. And then I got there and then the person running the show, the director, she said, do you want to play a dead body next week? You get free tickets to the show. And I said, yes, I would love to play a dead body. That sounds fun. And she says, it's a three hour show, but you're only dead for the first 40 minutes. And then for the rest of it, you can just wander around. I'm like, great. Oh, wow. And, okay. um, and they were kind of weird. It wasn't like sleep no more. I don't know if you've heard of that show. It wasn't that, um, structured. Mm-hmm. It was sort of, it was sort of like chaos that was sort of, you were always in character. You were always in the room with the audience. Yes. You And you had certain things you had to do once in a while, but you always had to be able to just be on your feet, talk to somebody in character based on the narrative that you had to, the, you, I knew how the story was going to end. They didn't. Yes. So whenever they talked to me, I was, so, I had to talk to them in ways that aligned with how the story was going to end, but not give that away. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, no, I did, yeah, I did Godspell, and it was kind of like the oh, same. Yeah, th- yeah. kind of like the same thing. You get to the, at the interval halfway through, it's like the cast. You grab a drink and stuff like that, but you're actually ideally the the person that wrote it said that you sh- the the Jesus and the, the disciples should be out in the audience, kind of talking to people, but not kind of dropping character or just like can kind of right. maintaining right. that all the way through. Um, and and yeah, so yeah, I, I have kind of like direct. I was yeah, I was Jesus and God spell, which was one of the oh. most funnest and intense kind of roles That's I've amazing. ever done because you end up it's like you don't realize it, but you're ending up learning all about all the gospels. So you yeah. ended up kind of quoting the whole thing. So when people come at you with kind of like lines from scripture and stuff like that, it's like, ah, well, actually, I think you'll find <laughs> that what they said and what they meant was this kind of thing but it, I, I i get where you're coming from with that because it's like that kind of immersion and it was one of the most it was one of the most fun roles that i did it was kind of like good fun and i think so game of blanks came about because i was doing that show i think a couple of the shows i did for this troupe mm-hmm. uh, most of the time i wasn't as tiffany but there was one show where i was tiffany it was like the surrealist illuminati ball where I had to do this kind of weird dance on stage and Mm -hmm. it was really kind of, that was really scary for me because we weren't wearing much, many, much clothing and it was was a huge crowd. So that was one where I was a little nervous to be in it, but it was great. It was a lot of fun. Most of the time I, I kind of sat down and said, what are things I like to do? I want to kind of, I just felt like doing something. Mm. And so I kind of wrote down, well, I love game shows or gamification of things board games things like that i like i don't mind getting up on stage and being a host i don't want to sing or dance or perform but i want to host yeah and so i and my friend who's a comedian he's in la now it's part of the reason why the show's on hiatus i said would you like to host this show called game of blanks i'll produce it i'll write the questions i'll organize it i'll find the venue but i need your help and the reason was he's a comedian. He's used to getting heckled. He's used to crowds. Yeah. And I and at the time I was like, I'm never going to get up in front of people because what if somebody starts heckling me? I won't know how to diffuse it or shut it down, you know. And as we started developing it, he said, he said, you know, you should just co-host this with me. I said, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, you know. Yeah. And he kind of coaxed me into doing it as we started getting ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I did, you know, and it was really helpful to have him up there because he's just a seasoned pro. He's a really good comedian. And, you know, he knew how to handle the room. And I learned standing next to him. 
and I got to be myself. So it was, and it was, he was right. It was much better with two people on stage as a dynamic because you could play off each other. Uh, I didn't have to be funny. You know, he was the funny one. Yeah. But I, but I could be funny, you know, and in the ways I was funny was different. And we, because we were good friends, we had a chemistry and we could riff and patter and it didn't feel forced yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. we never stepping on each other. And so that was just a blast. And so that, even that was fun in terms of, I mean, when we were running it, we did over 50 shows. At one point we did, we were doing two a month at two different bars. Uh, I had a college reunion a few years ago and I actually pitched it and we got to put it on for my college reunion. Wow. Uh, like it was this, you know, it was like a college version, right? A nostalgic version. And, um, and I got, you know, I, I got my friend to come up and another friend of mine from my class who's in Hollywood, he's an actor. He, uh, he, he co-hosted with us. So it was great. Um, COVID kind of put a pause on it. And then my friend moved to LA, which put a kind of another pause on yeah, it. And yeah. the, the state of the state of New York city's nightlife has sort of shifted. Um, there's no real middle class anymore. You're, so so the shows are either free or dirt cheap in dive bars. And uh, I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm yeah. saying those are the shows I usually am used to. Or it's, you know, second screen background for people who have a lot of money who come in from the out of town to visit. So it's like just their, just their backdrop for what they're doing that night. So you can't go to a burlesque show now unless you're paying like $5 in the back of a dive bar or $50 at and, and getting dinner at a at a supper club and there's no in between anymore which so a lot of bars don't do that anymore like it's either too expensive or it's too divey um or it's a sports bar you know and they just have you know, <laughs> yeah. the ball game on yeah exactly exactly so but i so i thanks to my friend um i got up there and I got 50 shows under my belt. So that was me getting my, you know, experience and learning how to do the show and doing it, you know, kind of what we talked about, you know, you said, Oh, I don't know how I would handle being in front of people. I think it's harder to be in front of less people than more people. Cause when it's more people, you just no longer can count how many people. So you don't think of it as like I've done, sh we've done shows where there were two people in the room and those are hard. Yes. Um, yeah. Because it's, uh, you know, uh, that's it. You're like, who are you playing to? You're playing to those two people. Like, Yeah, exactly. You, know. you could have come around my house instead and at least we could have, yeah. you know, I could have got or food like out of the fridge for you. Yeah. Or it's like if we're having this podcast and you're just like, Tiffany, I just think you're a terrible, terrible guest. Like in the middle of this podcast, like I have nowhere else to go. Right? I'm just like, I'm just, it's like time to shut down and I'm pressing, you know, stuff in the recording. But right, um, right. no, I get, I've done, um, I did, I did stand up for a bit. So, um, mm. and there are times where you can, you can have, you can have a room of like 60 people and it can feel like I'm just playing to mannequins here because there's no reaction. Or you can play to a room of like 10 or 15 people and you can have the best time. It's almost the case that you're getting kind of down off stage and sitting directly with people and just having like back and forth and having like kind of like the best the best time. But is there like, a, was there a, a slight persona that you put on when you were doing kind of like the quiz show? Or do you just kind of like, I'm just going to be play it naturally game of blanks is easy yeah. for me to be myself so 
because if you're a game show host, you can kind of fall back. Like your armor is I'm reading a question off a card. Yes. I am. I am. It's kind of like if you host a game night and you're the person that has to teach the game. Yes. Uh, which I like, which I also like doing because I, to me, it, there's a good way to teach game. You know, there are people that do these, do this for a living, you know, watch it played and three minute board game. And there's some really good sites that do this. The ones that are good at it, they understand it's a narrative. They understand there's a there's a there's a better way to tell somebody how to play a game than just going through the rules and reading them in order. And so I didn't think of it as being difficult up there because I had to constant and, and the thing I'm good at is constantly explaining the game, mm. not just how to play, let's go, yeah. but as we're playing. R- reminders, you know, yeah, yeah, keeping up, up, upkeep, you know, score, strategy, that sort of stuff. And I'm talking about board games, but also running that room is great because I have to keep it moving. It's funny and there's stuff going on, but there's there's things you have to do in this game. It's not like pub trivia where I just read a question, check yeah, out, and yeah, yeah. they just click online with their phones, you know. And so, so that was fun, and I that make me a lot more comfortable because it almost feels like you're an MC. It doesn't really feel like you have to be on or you have to tell jokes. And I just got more comfortable doing that because of my co-host and just because of the rooms and because of the experience of having done so many shows. And then this other show that I do, which is a current show in the city is called rock and roll bingo. And that's just a good friend of mine who's a DJ and we've known each other for about 20 years Yeah. at all these big nightlife. You know, I was a big nightlife person for a good chunk of time going to all these parties and stuff. And, he hosts this thing he sort of came up with it so it's a bingo card but instead of numbers on the card it's uh band band logos band names all right okay and then he just he'll just play the song and then if you have the band on your card you cross it off so if you hear you know flock of seagulls you cross it off you know (laughs) and then and it's not trivia so like if you don't know what the song is at the end of the song he tells you what the song is, cross it off. So he's kind of shy. And so he asked me, would you want to, would you want to be the host for the show? Yeah. I said, yeah, that sounds fun. And he said, it's what's funny about it is there's not much to it. Like I, I kind of say it's like being Vanna White on Wheel of Fortune. She's just turning the letters. It's on rails, right? She's not, yeah. she's not writing the questions. No, she's not talking to the, cont- the contestants. No, they just say, Oh, this lit up, turn it over, you know? So that's sort of what the show's like, because all I, all I technically need to do is remind people how to play. And then Mm. when the song's over, I say, my friend's name is, uh, his DJ name is Twig, the wonder kid. So I say, Twig, (laughs) what song, who was, you know, who sang that song, Twig? Yeah. And he'll say that was Flock of Seagulls with Iran. And I'll say, okay, if you have Flock of Seagulls on your card, cross it off. If you have three in a row, you have bingo, you know. And so I kind of built a patter from doing the show. And it's not always, you know, he has different theme nights. He has rock and roll. So it's like 70s, 80s classics. He has a heavy metal card. He has a um, 90s alternative one, which is fun. Uh, He has this new 80s new wave. Uh, He has like a MTV, uh, you know, 90s rap. Um, And so they're they're custom made little cards he prints out and you just hand them out. So that's fun because I get to riff. Um, I just started doing it and he's great. He just goes along with it. I, I would just start riffing on a song or whatever was in my head mm-hmm. based on what we were doing in the room. I would sometimes talk to the crowd for patter because they're in smaller they're in smaller rooms and I'm kind of moving around. So uh, they're really comfortable. And it's a kind of a passive social activity. 
Uh, it doesn't, you know, it, it, if you're in a room, and this is just between you, you and me and whoever's listening, <laughs> I cannot stand bar trivia nights. They make, they enrage me. Uh, I, because it's, it's, I, I don't, I want, you can't say things like that and like, no, I want a full justification as to why. Because we call it okay. pub quiz, right? Yeah, pub quiz. Yeah, I don't like pub quiz. And this is why I don't like pub quiz. I, I understand the popularity of pub quiz. Yes. But to me, pub quiz is, uh, it's one of the least social interactive things you can be do. Like if you're out at a bar with your friends. Yes. And then you're told, okay, you can't put your phones away. You yeah. can't look up stuff. Uh, and then somebody's yelling the questions out on a mic. So you, you can't even have a conversation. If you're not playing, it's just distracting. If you are playing, you're literally just waiting. And and every conversation during pub quiz, every question is somebody at the table is like, oh, yeah, I think the answer is Beyonce. And then somebody else is like, yeah, maybe it's Beyonce. And then somebody else is like, I don't know what it is. And then it's just dead silence until the next question. And then like 10 more questions later, you're going to find out what the answer is. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was Beyonce. Cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, and you're playing for like drink money, you know, and it's just it's the reason it's so popular. It's such a low lift for a bar. Uh, it, a lot of times in the city, there'll just be a local who that's their local bar and they'll just tell the guy, do you want to run a trivia night on Tuesday? You'll drink for free. And then that person is like, oh, I get to show off all the research I did this week on all the questions I came up with. And I know there's pub quizzes that are computerized and stuff, but. It's it's I take it personally because it's sort of been a killer for the types of things I do. Yeah. Because when I when I run these things, I want to make sure that people get paid. Yeah. So and bars are very like, well, we don't want to charge admission and or they say, well, we don't want to we don't want to pay. You know, I, I would have guest stars on Game of Blanks because it's like uh, the show has panelists. Yeah. So we'd always have two panelists. My friend would book a comedian and I would book like a burlesque performer or a musician yeah. or somebody. And and you know, they're not performing, but at the same time, I'm not asking them to do it for free and I want to get paid and my co-host wants to get paid and we, we bring in, we, it's a very entertaining night. You know, it's, it's a lot more entertaining and our game is a lot more interactive. I, I think of board games. It's kind of like, to me, pub quiz is like the cards against humanity of, of, of bar <laughs> nights. You know, there's, there's just tables, no there's tables kind of flipping everywhere but i see no i see kind of what you're getting at but then is there always going to be is there always going to be a part of you that is going to be involved or running these type of events i mean is this something that you can is it is it almost because i know this it's like for me whether i do the podcast like once once every couple of months or once a week or whatever it's still something i like to sit i like to get back sit back in the saddle and i have fun because i'm you know i'm in a place of this is a place of calm and zen Mm. you know i like this you know there's no real there's not going to be any kind of all of a sudden big surprises kind of happening you know i know where i am it's kind of like a nice kind of space and that i guess what i'm saying for yourself is if you know, if, if you were going to change, the, if the rock bingo, if you decided I'm going to shift this up and do something else, would you continue doing something else? Would you still be wanting to do something outside of kind of like your normal kind of day to day? I think so. Yeah. It's uh, always been a part that feeds me. Mm. It's always been a part. 
I work from home and I yeah. forget that um, my day is infinitely better if I can get outside and walk around and touch yeah. grass, even if it's to run an errand, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's to go to the post office or the market. And when I don't do that or talk myself out of not doing that, which is mm-hmm. often what happens when you work from home, you talk yourself out of being able to even stand up from your desk and you don't get it, you know, then the day's over and you kind of feel like a goblin. But I always feel infinitely better when I'm moving. And that's also my, I I do, I think of more, I'm a lot more creative when I go on these walks. There's a, there's a author, Julia Cameron, and she wrote this book called The Artist's Way, which a lot mm. of people really love. And it's a, it's a kind of a writing practice that she developed. It's, I don't want to, I don't want to, taint it by saying it's it's loosely based on like uh recovery literature and and 12-step type things but it is a little bit because the way she discuss, talks about it is uh artistic recovery you know recovery from not you know from from writer's block and these things yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and she has a couple of things that she preaches one is morning pages which is every morning you get up and you write three pages and it can be anything you just have to fill the pages with ink or fill the pages with type it doesn't need to be a story or anything coherent. It can be the same sentence over and over. It's just to make you do it. Yeah. And if you do that every day, it's a meditative thing. If you do it every day, what starts happening is you start not just typing the same sentence over and over, but you actually start going places and sort of, she kind of calls it drying out from like this kind of creative, like funk you're in or whatever. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. other thing she always talks about is these, uh, uh, you schedule time two hours at least once a week where you go on a date with they call it an artist date it's something you do with you don't make a plan with somebody you just do it on your own yeah um and then the other thing that's sort of related to that is walking kind of walking in silence which is on your own you don't you don't walk with friends you don't walk with somebody you just plan a walk and that's that kind of gets your brain cooking you look around and you see things and you can make creative connections and, and, and your mind gets to wander. And it's, you know, even if it starts with things you're should be doing or errands or work, it usually drifts away from that. If you schedule like a half hour, 40, 40 minutes to walk somewhere. Uh, and so even if I'm walking to the post office or something, I, my brain starts doing that work. I start thinking about the creative side of things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should, I should write, I should write an article about this or I should try to, you know, the thing with Game of Blanks, just to get back to that, is I want to work out a way to make that a larger scale event. Um, and, and, and you know, just, you know, my dream is to have that at like, you know, a game con where I've run it, you yeah. know, with, with celebrity panelists. And I think it could work. There's just some technical stuff and time stuff and then my own like internal, you know, imposter syndrome stuff that prevents me from taking next steps on it yeah um i know exactly where you're coming from with that you know and i write for i write for a i know this is ostensibly a board game podcast i'm board game adjacent i write for goonhammer which is a big warhammer hub and they have uh yes i've heard heard of that right oh yeah 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 yeah. i think yeah everybody's aware of like i think they were actually looking for more people recently Mm -hmm. So they were uh, they were they were asking for for kind of more people doing more pages. What's funny about that is there's a section on Goonhammer called Turn Order, and that's board game and TTRPG content. And what's funny about it, 
I mean, the way people ask, oh, what's it? What you know? What do you do over there? I sort of uh, compare it to the X Files, where yeah. it's it's a if you look up turn order, it's not readily easy to find, and obviously Warhammer doesn't always have anything to do with board games. Yeah. So, but what's great about it is uh, the editors there, since I've been writing there for a couple of years, have just let me write whatever I want. <laughs> They're not worried about Kickstarter yeah. windows or yeah. the new hotness or yeah. whatever. And they don't need me to write any Warhammer content. They want board game stuff and whatever. And so it's like the X-Files where I'm Mulder. I'm in the basement. They just let me do what I want to do down there. <laughs> and, you know, I believe in board games. The truth is out there. But like the rest of the site has no idea that's happening because it's all Warhammer stuff. So um, it's been a while since I've uh, filed a piece, but I'm part of that's been this job. But I'm going to... Uh, I have some stuff coming out and I'm trying to get back on a regular rotation where I'm filing something once a month. And I kind of, I made, I started it as a joke, but my stuff tends to be, it's reviews, but my reviews are, I usually write longer than just here's how to play. I liked it. And that's cause the better, the best reviews, the best criticism, uh, you know, the best podcasts that discuss board games to me are, are not when people are just saying, here's how you play the game, I liked it. Thumbs up, thumbs down, but this game made me feel this. I felt like, you know, or this game reminded me of that. Like, if you inject something personal into it or or your emotions into it, you know, games make us feel stuff. It isn't just, I played it and it was a great optimization deck builder. It's, okay, no, how did it make you feel to play the game? How did it make you feel to win the game? Yeah. How did it make you feel to lose the game? How did it make you feel to play with the people at the table, if you knew them or not, you know, mm. or your 10 year old niece or, and so the people that are doing really good criticism bring their own stuff into the criticism. And cause I think that's the better stuff comes out of that. So I sort of go by board game memoirist because I always want to do a lot more personal, uh, you know, kind of autobiographical stuff that I bring into the stuff I'm writing about. And I realize I need to do that more, I think, than less. Uh, uh, that I'm I think it's I think it's I think it's missing, and I think um, one of the things that one of the things that I'm doing because I do the writing as well, and I'm very aware of where you're coming from because it's it's almost like a double-edged sword. Board game reviews, and I'm looking over here because I've got two screens, so I've got the Goonhammer site. In front, in case you're going oh, yeah. like, why are you looking over there? You, no, you know. it's okay. Um, but on the other side of it, I think it's really, really difficult to. Um, it's re- it can be really, really difficult to kind of bring the thoughts and feelings kind of out there without kind of because some people are like, well, you didn't mention the game. Um, I did a, I wrote a piece about um tapestry mm. and my entire piece on tapestry was basically four friends going to a buffet restaurant and basically them ha- the experience that they had which is having one of them got like two forks one of them got like two plates one of them had a bigger plate than everybody else and kind of like telling the tale of that but it kind of i thought it kind of gave a good impression of an analogy of how the game actually plays and how it came right. together which is four different people all sitting around the same table but having an absolutely completely different kind of buffy experience but not 
interacting with each other. And it's really, really difficult to kind of write in that kind of, you know, to kind of write in that style, to kind of not mention the mechanics because, Mm -hmm. or mention the mechanics, but use it as a way to kind of provide a kind of an emotive experience in it is to say, this is really annoying, this is really disappointing. I had to write about a game recently, um, Hamlet, and um, I didn't like it. It didn't gel with me, and it, I, and I kind of like it's almost like the entire review is a bit tainted with like my disappointment of why I'm saying, well, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? And sometimes when I review a game, I'm saying, I would have liked to have seen this. I would have liked to have seen that. And some people are like, and some people are just like, I just want to see how the rules play and whether or not you like yeah. it. I think nine times out of ten, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this point or not. But I think sometimes when people read reviews, they've already bought the game or they've backed the game and they've just and they're starting to see other people receive the game. So they're just wanting confirmation that they made the right decision. That when they read a game when they read about a game and they hear that somebody goes, Oh, this game is absolutely wonderful that the reason people like just tell me how you'd play it and whether or not you liked it is because they look at the last paragraph at the bottom. And if they get, so this is one of the best games I've ever played, they're like, yes, that was amazing. I know that was $70 I spent that was worthwhile. But I think board game criticism, and people have talked about it, you know, it's not, you know, there's there's conversations about board games as art, which they are to me. Mm-hmm. And there's people that don't think of it that way. They think of yes. it as commerce or as a purchase. But if you think of any other art form that has criticism, you don't see the same problems. Because there's basically there's no boundaries in the board game industry with regards to how reviews are. Yes. Because, like, you know, if there's a movie review... That means the critics got invited to a screening all in the room together where they all got to screen it and write their notes and then publish wherever they publish their reviews. They're not publishing them. It's the studio doesn't own their, their opinion. They, they, they've, they, but you know, they still want it as promotion. They're like, please, please review this movie. It'll help promote our movie. But they let you say, I didn't like the movie or I, I hate, you know, I love the movie. Same thing with records, right? They can get you, you can get a free copy of a record, but they don't tell you what to think about it. Or or the, yeah. the subtext isn't, you have to write something nice about it because I gave this to you for free. Yes. And because there's no set boundaries with publishers and people writing, and because and, a lot of people aren't writing, aren't doing this for a living. No. And, and so, and, and because Board Game Geek, you can just write a review of anything you want. And, yeah. Or you can write something and call it a review. There's a lot of things on there that call themselves reviews that aren't reviews. You know, um, if it's just a rules explanation for 90% of the piece, and then it's I liked it, that's a review on Board Game Geek. You know, but yeah. that doesn't tell me anything about the game. And I do think you're right. I do think they want confirmation bias, or it's should I buy this game? Question mark. You know, it's yeah. sort of like it's sort of like all these uh, sites now that test products, and you're looking for you know, the best air purifier or the best, you know, cordless vacuum or something. And then we tested over 20 cordless vacuums and here's our, you know, list of the ones that we like. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, I think reviews do that. And, you know, there's all these other, I mean, 
I don't think the board game publishers want it to change too much because it's 100% free publicity. Too many, I think too many people want to write PR stuff because they want to have a relationship, a continued relationship with a publisher or a game designer, you know, and I get it. If you don't like a game, you're basically mm. saying unofficially that the designer, whether you know them or not, created something you did not like. And I feel like in board game criticism, it's not like if I didn't like a Marvel movie, I can say I thought the direction was terrible. I thought this actor gave a terrible performance. The music was weird. You know, if it's something I didn't like. Yeah. Those people don't want to hear that criticism and they might disagree with you. But I just feel like the board game industry and criticism stuff is more of a niche where people aren't necessarily going to want. Like, I'm not going to say I played this game and I hate it. I mean, there's unless it's something I really don't care if they like me or not. Like, I hate Cards Against Humanity. I don't care if that company doesn't, you know, let me buy their games anymore. I was, well, I guess at the same time, when we're talking about, like, record companies and we're talking about movie companies, I could say that, you know, um, I don't want to see another um, Russo-produced movie in my life but the chances of me actually meeting the Russo brothers are next to Very nothing. That's you right. know, that I could say, well, you know, Pearl Jam's got a new album. I've listened to their new single. I like how, I like the cut of its jib, but it's almost getting back to some of their original stuff. But I'm not, I'm not on DMs with like, you know, yeah. Eddie Vedder. Whereas, you know, if I, if you get sent review copies, there's a really good chance that the designer developer mm-hmm. is potentially in your social media space um, and also they have an ability to kind of, you might bump into them at the next con. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that, there's still yeah. that kind of immediacy where there's kind of, and, and let's face it, we, we, we continually see um, people who are starting off in the kind of the media stuff and they end up kind of working for, yeah. Yep. the board game companies directly or indirectly they become they go from being you know um we're called we're called you know we're called about um the media cardboard troupe and then it's like all of a sudden the guy that was the person that formed the media cardboard troupe is now working as a social media person for chip theory games yeah. or is going on to you know become part of their design team for chip theory games or later games or whatever so there's there's still very much because it's been almost like a cottage industry and somebody that has an idea they've got they've got the ability to go out through kickstarter and get a game printed they can still yeah. be like there can still be people who are like two people in a team making board games yeah. it's like frank west city of games yeah. he's got a relatively small team if you even speak to isaac childress i mean relatively small to even jamie yep. stegmeyer multi-million kind of wingspan copies quote so when they produce their yearly report they're still saying well we've got like three full-time people and then we've got another five kind of designer developers but at the same time i can email jamie stegmeyer right now and say how's it going jamie how are things are you busy in the next three weeks would you like to come and talk about wormspan and he'll reply to me directly I yep. wouldn't be able to kind of like contact, say, Jeremy Renner and say, hey, I heard you're doing another series <laughs> of Hawkeye. Do you want to come on to yeah. the podcast and talk it? I think there's that availability. And because of that, I think I think you're right. I think there's some relationships. There's some companies I... It's funny because there's companies that I work with 
and I work with in my DD job <laughs> because yeah. I help businesses on Amazon. So I speak to these people. But now I can't review their games because I provided the service for them. So I think there's still a lot of things. I think because of it's all grown organically and everybody's friend, friends and there's also, there's like a drive for, if I'm a board game designer developer and I have 50 copies that I can hand out for reviews, it's like, it's like doing X Factor. You know, I could go out there and I could quite easily. It's like, um, I don't know if you've, had anything with like i've seen hype haven at all which is this like new kind of it's meant to be this collaboration thing between um publishers and kind of board game media people but there was basically there was like there was a couple of companies kind of said oh we can provide like 25 review copies and there was another company says we can provide 50 review copies and it tells you the number of inquiries that they've had yeah. And there's a hundred people easily. And these yeah. are a hundred people creating media. So it's a yeah. And do I want it to be less? I think that because there's not an awful lot of money in it, I think that people end up naturally drifting. I think the level of attrition in board game media is kind of like extremely high. And I think yeah. there are people like myself that we keep going because I guess I'm not trying to make money out of this. So I guess I mean, it's same, not, same here, same here. You know, I'm not trying to make money out of it. Therefore, I'm not trying to push into getting kind of me, kind of, I guess, grown, grown. I mean, I'm quite happy. I look at my download figures and I'm happy. I look at the number of people that read my blogs and my writing and I'm kind of happy. I've never been in the situation. I guess there's part of me that's went, well, you could push it a little bit and do this, this and this. And then I'm just like, but if I get into the situation where it's becoming a job, I'm not mm-hmm. sure I do this as a creative outlet. I do the writing as a creative outlet. Sometimes I'll get days like in the last week I've I've released about four or five different written review pieces. And the reason was back to what you were talking about writer's block is I, it wasn't, it was gumption block. I was like, come on, get your ass out of bed and just like write some, you know, my brain was just not in the right thing. I was faced with a blank screen. I'm typing away and I'm just like going, well, this is the biggest load of garbage. I'm just scrapping that and starting again. But then last week I had like what, you know, um, what uh, what you would call a moment of clarity. And I was yeah. just like, you know, typing away and the words are just like appearing on the screen. And I'm just like going, wow, where were you when I needed you like kind of like four months ago? So I see, I kind of see where things are going. Um, and I also think it's an interesting industry. I think it's more niche than, you know, I don't want to compare it straight up side by side with film, books, no. you know, m- music. I, I just do think, it's a million, you know, it's a multi-million dollar industry yearly with sales. But if you go by like units sold or tickets sold or something, yeah. I think board games is probably lower. It, you know, like, you know, like in other words, what makes a huge hit in board games? It, it, it's not like in movies where the top ten movies all make, yeah. you know, five hundred million dollars or something, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so everything's relative. It's a smaller pond. Success is measured differently. Uh, if if I buy a game, it's for my family and friends. So yeah. that's like, whereas if we all went to go see a movie, that would be ten tickets. It wouldn't be one game for ten people. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. so I know it's not a it's not a perfect uh, comparison, but I just do think the way it's built right now, 
for all these factors, you know, nobody mm. can do it full time. No. People in the industry generally want to stay in the industry in some capacity. Um, and even the people that are like, oh, it must be cool being a reviewer. You get free games. And, and, and you know, I'm like that. It's like a curse to get free games because that's just a list of articles you haven't filed yet. Oh, that and was me. Gotta, that like, was literally me in January. Play, yeah. <laughs> and then you got to play them oh. and then you got to write about them. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then it seems like it's almost like a luxury to find people that can be critical of a game. Uh, Space Biff, Dan Thoreau, he's somebody that if he likes a game, he tells you. If he doesn't like a game, he tells you. And yet he still gets review copies. He, to me, is like, you know, the Roger Ebert of the board game. It's because he's got, he's got this presence now that people are going to send the games regardless because they'll be like, all right, well, you didn't like this one? Well, what about this one then that we've made? And it's like, okay, well, no, I don't like that either. Well, what about this one? So I think they're in that right thing. What I'm going to start, what I'm doing is I am not going to be really accepting any more kind of review copies because I have a pile of games in a cupboard that... Some are old and some are new, and I'm going to go through them all from the top, and I'm going to start kind of writing articles about that. Now, for some people, it might not be... They might go, well, you're not doing the new hotness, and it's like, yeah, but there's tons of people doing the new hotness. And the problem with the new hotness is the reason that it's hot is because everybody's saying it's really, really hot. And the problem I see with some of the things to do, some of the articles with some of the games that come out, is that... They're they're like the bee's knees. Everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is the best thing ever. And then six months later, they've just they've dropped off the map, and you never hear about them again. And then and then, and that's why when you get something like say like Wingspan, that just seems to be the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, people are like yeah. people's minds are blown, but it's like it's not. It's like this is how normal kind of normal kind of consumerism kind of goes that people like a product and they kind of stick with it and it kind of it becomes an evergreen product and that's kind of what happens but there is a kind of a big push for it's an expensive product but here's the next expensive product you're buying so we're kind of stepping away from review copies and going into I'm going to start writing about my collection because then I can do what you're doing which is approaching it from more of an emotional aspect and also not have this hey you big shill just getting your free copies of games it's like no actually i've you know i kind of pretty much have all these you know yeah no i think too uh there's an aspect to board gaming that it's what's baked in is the marketing i Mm. think it's it's a smaller population of people to market to and there are very effective ways to market to kind of what you said, the big box games that kind of Simon and all these companies came out with where it was this box is a deluxe edition with 500 minis and metal coins and solo mode where they they sort of take every piece of the game and make it a, a stretch goal. Yes. And that that bubble's kind of starting to burst a little bit because now everything deluxe is like all in $150 and it's like every month that happens with a game. Yeah. And... And also the way that even I'm reading about copy on a Facebook ad or something, I kind of call it everything core, where they say, this game has solo, this game has everything. It's like yeah. that uh, Saturday Night Live sketch with Stefan, you know, <laughs> like it's like this board game has everything. It has solo mode. It plays up to eight <laughs> players. It has minis. It has three expansions. It has metal coins. It, it's it's a it's interactive. There's high replayability. They just list all the things it's, it's, yeah. that people on board game geeks say they like. Yeah, and it 
and thankfully it's all in one game so you never have to buy another game again until until next month where you have to buy this kind of next kind of you have to buy this game which is based around vampires which is not like our previous game which was based around catapults which is definitely not like our previous game which is based around the the egyptian empire which is not about this similar to this game which was based around kind of myths and creatures including bigfoot kind of thing and it does kind of get a bit i kind of get a bit much um i'm aware of the time so i've only got a couple more things (laughs) it's like okay okay um but what's kind of what is kind of getting you excited at the moment in the worm realms of cardboard? What are you kind of playing kind of just now, or what have you played recently that went, oh, hello? So we play since uh, lockdown in spring twenty twenty. There's been a group of five or six of us that play online every Saturday, which has been mm-hmm. great. Um, we've we've been able to meet make keep that appointment almost every Saturday, and it's remote because some of the members of the group aren't local to where we live in New York. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, and so sometimes we'll play something on that that kind of th- jumps out at us. Um, my my regular gaming group has never really gotten us, gotten back on track with a schedule since uh, uh, 2020. Yeah. Just because it just, you know, we played last week for the first time in a few months, but wow. um, our schedules are different and you know, we used to play every week uh, or twice a month. Uh, part of that was I had a different job where I could host. I mm. can't host anymore. A couple of us have moved. A couple of us can't really go out that much. Yeah. So it, it, it's been hard. Um, play a lot of two-player games with my partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that I think we've played most recently over the last few months, there's a game called uh, Scandalo, Okay. which is... So have you heard of this game, Awkward Guests? It rings a bell, yes, but then I get um, I get kind of games kind of <laughs> put past. It's a, I think they're I think they're from Spain. The company oh. it's uh, Mega Corpin. Uh, it was a Kickstarter. It's it's a deduction game. It's like oh. Clue, but it's it's I, I hate I hate to say this is such a board game geek uh, idiom uh, board game on uh, Clue on steroids, but it's it's <laughs> Clue. Out. <laughs> seriously there's the door oh that's all the time we have thanks for coming um so bingo it, it, everything's bigger uh it plays up to eight yeah it's a it's a deduction game that has an app so there's literally thousands and thousands of cases wow. because there's more of everything and it's not just it's not just a suspect a weapon and a room hmm. it's other things too like motives and things like that and it's through it's through card play where you're basically all the cards have uh number values on them where you can bid how many, you can bid a total value of yeah. the cards in your hand based on their value. Mm. And then if the person accepts, they have to trade that same, that equal value in cards in their hand. Uh, right. And that's how you share information. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot, it's a lot more robust than Clue just saying, does anybody, you know, I think it was this. And if you yeah. have that, you, you show them and prove it wrong. Um, it's a really fun game. So they made another, they made a sequel game and it's, uh, the system's really brilliant. It's hard to describe other than it's like, you know, 600 cards and you go to the app and it tells you pull these cards and then Mm -hmm. that's the that's the case and you don't even have to think about it it's on rails um and the and and it can be really fun they made a sequel that was not as successful because i think thematically some people bounced off of it and it was called scandalo and it's the same system yeah except you are uh investigative reporters kind of like tabloid journalists Uh, trying to uncover these scandals so the suspects aren't necessarily killing people they're just 
you know, famous people or rich people. And then their scandals are like, oh, embezzlement or mm. insider trading or, you know, whatever they are. Um, and they, they, they kind of do some tweaks to it. I would say intuitively, it's not something that I would say if you liked awkward guests, it's fun and it's a little, it's different enough yeah. to get, but yeah. there's a lot of people who've never heard of it. Um, so that was when we played a lot. I went to PAX Unplugged and my favorite game, I'm going to hold it up. It's uh, it's an oink game. Oh, hello. Called uh, uh, Dropolter. And I I bought it and I got to, I took everybody that was there at PAX that saw me. I was just walking around saying, have you heard of this game? Have you heard of this game? <laughs> and we played it like several times over the weekend with whomever I was with. Yeah. Uh, it's so fun. It's a dexterity game and I don't normally like those. Yeah. But um, there's five you have five items in your hand and they're all different shaped. And then you just shake your hand and then, and then there's a card, a deck of cards and they'll be flip the card and it'll show on the card, which of the five objects you need to drop onto the table. All right. And so they're in your hand. And the only rule is if something drops from the table that isn't on the card, you have yeah. to start over and bring everything back into your hand. Oh, wow. And so it's whoever does it first grabs the card and they get yeah. it. Or it's a, it's a ghost meeple. You grab the ghost meeple. Yeah. Um, so it sounds a lot of oink games to me are fun because they're compact, but I find this, and this is a compliment because I have so many of their games, a lot of their games, when you read how to play them or somebody describes what they are, you're kind of like, is that Mm. even a game that sounds really dumb or like not dumb, but like dull. Right. So what makes this interesting is if you, you have to win five times, you Mm -hmm. have to basically win five cards when you win you take the card and they give you a little jingle bell like a little hand and and you have to put that in your hand and that becomes another item that you have to keep in your hand in subsequent rounds so you need five bells to win so near the end of the game you have five items of different sizes one's a ring yeah you know one's a gem one's a little meeple one looks like a little uh cereal piece of like a waffle and um uh but you also have these bells that do this little jingle the whole time you're playing, you know, you're, you're manipulating. And if you drop a bell, uh, you have to start over, but you also lose that point. Ah. And that's sort of the oink games always have this thing. They're like, this sounds really dull. And then they introduce one kind of thing that makes the game kind of sing. And that's yeah. what it is for that game. So, I mean, those are the two that I think I really have uh, enjoyed lately. Um I'm looking over at my shelf of opportunity and there's a lot of stuff there that I haven't even played. Um, shelf of opportunity is such a... I don't like, I don't like shelf of shame. I could do a whole hour about that. I mean, I let's face it, I could, you know, I could talk about shame for forever and yeah. a day, but let's, you know... And that's why I don't want to talk about shame because, uh, I mean, especially as like somebody who's like queer, trans, gender queer, you know, out and all this stuff, shame was a formative part of yeah. my process and coming out and things I had to move past. Yeah. So I, I never like something I love, like a board game hobby and a community to, to, to be to associated be with that. shame or humiliation or, exactly. you know, exactly. So exactly. It's just, it's just phrasing. It's just uh, messaging or optics or whatever. Exactly. The, um, the game I've been mucking about with and kind of enjoying recently is Nawali. Um, oh, I have that. I haven't played it yet. Oh, it's you will like it. It's great. It's really great. good. Yeah, it's really good fun. It's kind of like um, it's very short. It's sharp. It's 
Elaine Battler with lots of different kind of replayability. The artwork is just absolutely delicious. That's what sold me on it is that, you know. It's different. Oh, it's so, it's, it's, um, the issue that I have with a lot of card games is that you sit down and on premise, they seem like this should be finished in 15 minutes and then 45 minutes down the line. There seems to be like a way for the game to kind of bounce back and then last for another half an hour. Mm -hmm. So you end up with this kind of game fatigue. Whereas the difference with Nuwali is that you only really start off with like about 17 cards in your hand. There's no way to refresh cards once they've been discarded. So you're basically, you're playing cards into different lanes and it's quick and fast and it plays in about 15 to 20 minutes and it's like one of these things that we should kind of set up and start again and mm. it's just it looks it looks lovely and glorious and it's very very simple to play so that's why i've been kind of getting to the table the only game that i've got that i really want to play on my shelf of opportunity is star wars rebellion Mm. which I need to sit down with my middle boy and we need to play it, but we need kind of like three or four hours and that's the kind of the main one I'm looking at. But as I say, I'm going to go back through my kind of my cupboard of games and start just an excuse to play them again. Because you know what it's like when you're reviewing games? You've got like a pile of games you've got to review and then you go, but I actually, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not going to like it, so I'm going to have to play it and then... Am I playing, depending on the mood I'm in, I could be playing a really, really good game but have a bad experience on it and I'm just like, mm, I'm not, I don't know if I want to play it again and the enthusiasm right. kind of dwindles. but I've got games in my cupboard that for one reason or another have come through purchases or presents or gifts or other people have given them to me and I would like to just start writing about them and then it's, you know, we shall see where we shall go. Um, Thank you for coming on. Very, Thanks very for much. having it's me. Been absolutely wonderful if people have listened along today and went i've got to find out where this person exists on the internet webs where do you exist on the internet webs where can we find you so i write for goonhammer mm-hmm. and i am primarily on blue sky mm-hmm. and i have a letterboxd account which i don't you know that's less social i mm. mean other than liking things but I, I watch a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I I worked at a video store a million years ago when those things still existed, and I still have that mentality, that clerk's mentality. So uh, I can recommend you a movie, um, but my letterbox account is very robust, and I have one of those link sites. Uh, it's mxtiffanylee.bio. Okay. Link. It's like a link tree. Yeah. But I mean, I'm generally everywhere if you do Tiffany Lee board games or Tiffany Lee Goonhammer, you know, even even as the Google search engine and other search engines start going into exponential decay, you can probably <laughs> still find me using them. Yes, I read an article about... Um, it's brutal, it, right? It's just like what they're calling the... the, 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 um, the somebody come, came up with the phrase calling it the shittening of the internet. Yeah, so, yeah, so Cory Doctorow calls it the enshittification. Of, yeah. Um, and some people wish that that wasn't the most popular phrase, although it is. It is. And and the optics of it is the New York Times is never going to print in Yeah. And so there's a there's another person and I'm totally spacing on his name. Um, he's great. Uh, he has referred to it as the rot economy. Yes. Which also 
is a more useful term for me because it, it actually encompasses more than Google doesn't work anymore, things stop working, you know, sites stop being you know updated, things like that. Yeah. Uh, than inshitification. So, but I mean, either either works, but either, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like I like rat economy. I, like, which I, is, I, you know, I heard that as well, and I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Um, what I'll do is I'll I'll make sure that we put the links in the show notes so that we have got links sure. to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we're in, what we're into. <laughs> Then you can go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you'll find us in all the different places. Um, we've got our written stuff, which is on wearenotwizards.co.uk. You can find our podcast on wearenotwizards.com and you can find us on all the different podcast places. Um, if you are going to be listening along, please tell other people about us or give us a rating or review on your pad- podcast catcher of choice there is only two more things to do the first thing is to remember that we're many things but we're not wizards are we wizards Tiffany yes we are wizards that's just right okay that's just I did it, I, I did it wrong you did it wrong uh, no, uh, can can I redo it no and this because you just disappointed me and the second thing is to say goodbye so it's a good goodbye from the sudden disappointment say goodbye Tiffany Goodbye. (laughs) And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Rule sixes. Make something awful. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never linked. He arrives precisely when he means to.